This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome. We would like to note that unlike, say, riding a bicycle, if you don't do a radio show for a while, you can get a little rusty. Or so it seems this correspondent, as I sit down to record a bit, people have written to say, what's the deal? How can we not having any original material? Well, as pointed out in last week's program, I was in Croatia and Bulgaria, which didn't help. But let's talk a bit about what's going on out in the great wide world. Um, they, there was an election here in California this week. This correspondent made a point to go out and vote for Bernie Sanders when he saw the headline of the B based on the Associated Press release of the previous evening that Hillary Clinton pretty much had the nomination sewed up based on their headcount of the so-called superdelegates. Well, maybe the AP did the headcount right, maybe they didn't, but it was a hell of a thing to uh, put in the headlines right on the day of the California primary. That couldn't wait a day. Well, I know it garnered at least one sure vote for uh, Bernie Sanders by doing that. And I hope the thousands join me. This was dirty politics. I was so disgusted by what was on the ballot uh, this June that I thought about sitting the whole thing out. But I'm glad, in a way, that I was galvanized into action. Although the sad reality has settled upon us that it's going to be Trump versus Clinton next November. Barring a repeat, of course, of what happened uh, back in 1968 when uh, the outcome of ballots, in this case the Robert Kennedy victory in California, got overcome by bullets. Let's hope that sort of stuff is behind us now. Anyway, let's do a little bit of radio parallax. Before we start on this date in history, which is how we customarily begin the program, we do want to note some prominent obituaries of late, most notably that of the great Muhammad Ali. In a future installment of this program, we will try and uh, do a retrospective of the remarkable life of Muhammad Ali, formerly known as Cassius Clay. But that's going to require a little bit of work. We're not ready to do so today. But someone else we don't want to shortchange is Mark Lane, the dean of the Warren Commission critics. We made a rather half-hearted effort to get to Mark Lane on this program a couple years back. But turns out he was rather hard to, to nail down, and we were a little bit preoccupied with some other matters. Alas, it was not to be. But uh, we will talk about him in a future installment of the program because he is worthy of being talked about. Also, Morley Safer. We always liked the fact that Morley Safer joined CBS in 1964 and uh, wound up shunning press briefings in favor of outings with the troops. He changed the way many Americans perceived the war, according to the New York Times. His account of Marines burning a village as old men and women begged for mercy stunned the American public and enraged Lyndon Johnson, who ordered Safer investigated as a possible communist. We should probably try and do him justice as well. We were especially tickled in noting in the obituaries that Safer got a lot of attention back in 19... 19- 93, when he ran a segment on 60 Minutes, suggesting that much of modern abstract art was, quote, worthless junk, unquote. Anyway, I've got a couple other obits that are going to work their way into this segment, uh, but uh, in due time. Some other news we have to cite before going on, I think, is the fact that uh, 
UC Davis's suspended chancellor, Linda Katehi, is apparently not cooperating with the investigation of her misbehavior. She's hired a new spokesman, and she's hired a new lawyer. And apparently not only is she not admitting to any wrongdoing, she wants to just get this thing over with and get back to business as usual. Which, in her case, includes, you know, hiring out the name of UC and Linda Katehi to enterprises of dubious ethics. All right, back on this date in history, which in the case of today's date is the 9th of June. It was on June 9th in the year 68 that Nero, emperor of Rome, committed suicide. In the midst of a coup, Nero was going to be killed by uh, legionnaires that were headed his way, and suicide was his easier way out. In previous incarnations of this program, we've talked a bit about Nero, who cut quite a figure back in his day. He built a giant palace that pretty much bankrupted (laughs) the empire, or was threatening to. He did arrange to uh, have the chariot races at Olympia fixed so that he, the emperor, could win. And he did write a letter to the Jewish sect then operating in Rome, which called themselves Christians, scolding them for their lack of religious tolerance. It had long been a tradition in Rome that all religions were regarded as more or less valid. And the viewpoint of these new Christians, that they were the only true religion, was looked down upon as something distinctly non-Roman, which, of course, it was. On June 9th, 1934, The Thin Man, a film based on the novel by American author Dashiell Hammett, debuted in New York. I think they wound up making five Thin Man movies with William Powell and Myrna Loy, and uh, a couple of them are pretty darn good. And on June 9th, 1978, the American boxer Larry Holmes won the World Boxing Council Heavyweight Championship with a 15-round split decision over Ken Norton in Las Vegas. I believe this selection of the new heavyweight champion came in the wake of the retirement of Muhammad Ali. Born on this date in the year 1892, Cole Porter, American composer and lyricist. Cole Porter put together Anything Goes, which is hell of a good production, and numerous memorable tunes such as Don't Fence Me In. Our quote of the day comes from basketball coach John Wooden, who once said, Things turn out best for the people who make the best of the way things turn out. Our quote of the day, oddly enough, comes from an obituary. In this case, that of radio and TV star Alan Young, who passed away last week. Here's the setup. When comedian George Burns was putting together a TV series, in this case, Mr. Ed, <laughs> a show about a talking horse, he apparently knew exactly which actor he wanted to play the wily animal's affable owner. Said George Burns, we should get Alan Young. He looks like the kind of a guy a horse would talk to. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Seth Myers, who noted a while back that a new study suggests that a chemical released when a person is hungry can lead to poor decision-making. It's what Taco Bell calls our entire business model. All right, our anecdote of the week for this week's program is as follows. There's some more bad news for law school grads who have encountered a grim job market. A robot has officially been hired by one of the nation's biggest law firms, according to Karen Turner in the Washington Post. 
Baker Hostetler, which employs 900 human lawyers, has become the first law firm to publicly welcome ROSS, marketed as the world's first artificially intelligent attorney. Yes, as regards the phrase artificially intelligent attorney, you may fill in your own joke here. Apparently, the software will work in Baker Hostetler's bankruptcy practice, sifting through thousands of legal documents to bolster the firm's cases, a job that would have normally been filled by fresh-out-of-school lawyers. I tell you, if this story doesn't scare you, well, then I don't think you can be scared. Our stat of the day is that one out of five smartphone owners around the world now uses software to block advertisements while browsing the web. That's roughly 420 million people, an increase of 90% over the past year. Apparently, America is not leading in this field. 30% of smartphone owners in the Asia-Pacific region now block mobile ads, but in America, the figure is in single digits. But I certainly hope that changes. All right, and for our good news item of this week's show, we have, thanks to Discover Magazine, a, a medical breakthrough that may help a lot of people who are uh, having difficulty with balance. Evidently, engineers at Harvard's Weiss Institute have produced a prototype vibrating insole that's designed to improve balance. And the reason it can do that is that we all have neurons in our feet that help, help us know where the feet are relative to the rest of the body and thus help us balance, but they often get desensitized in seniors. The result of that is worse balance and more falls. Now, by adding some stimulus in the form of vibration in in a person's uh, insoles, that seniors' motor control and balance uh, has gotten better. In fact, uh, in 2013, a demonstration for Discover Magazine noted that um, The seniors standing on the vibrating insoles showed the same balance as people in their 20s. Unfortunately for consumers, the insole isn't commercially available yet, and the Weiss Institute is discussing licensing with different companies. The question is whether to partner with a traditional footwear company or or do it through a medical device company. Some believe the product should have FDA approval, a process familiar to medical device makers, but footwear companies would likely provide much better marketing. Oh, I want to have a sneaking feeling that money has a role to play in how this is going to be marketed as well. But uh, sounds like a good product. Let's hope they can go forward with it. All right, I think at this point we should jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Good of the Week magazine, although they didn't quite phrase it this way, it was a good week last week for the millennial generation's sense of privilege. At least that's how I interpret it based on this story, which is that more than 1,300 students at Oberlin College have now signed a petition asking administrators to abolish midterms and all grades below C to accommodate their busy protest schedules. The students try to make the point that attending demonstrations against social injustice leaves little time to study. One student was quoted as saying, a lot of us started suffering academically. To which we say, guys, you're just going to have to learn to budget your time. 
And you may have to settle for the fact that that C-plus work you've been turning in that's been earning you A's all these years may just take a hit as you drop down to D work that'll just get you B's. Is this correspondent displaying a bit of testiness over the current state of our university students? Well, yes, he is. It's a topic we'll be returning to in the future. But at any rate, lest I digress, it was a bad week last week for Dinner with a Friend after a restaurant in Sweden began offering a special menu just for dogs. According to proprietor Tobias Hamburg, most dogs prefer beef, to which we had, we hope, grass-fed. In a related item that cuts just a little bit too close to home, I would note that um, a uh, cafe in my neighborhood, probably the closest one to my doorstep, closed shop a couple months back, And uh, I'm going to miss their croissants and their scones, or is it scones? Take your pick. And their soup and their sandwiches. I'm going to miss them all. And uh, to add insult to injury, it turns out that the cafe is going to be replaced by a store producing custom-made upscale dog food. At least so I understand You can bet I'll be researching this a little bit further and reporting back to you, dear listener. If this is true, and it does prove to be a successful business model, we're going to have to take it as a sign that perhaps Armageddon may indeed be near. By the way, follow up to Serena Williams from last week's show. No matter how good it may look, please don't eat the dog food. And finally, (laughs) we have an item that would, I think... Warm the heart of the late Morley Safer. Because it surely was an ugly week last week for modern art. <laughs> With the news story that, as a prank, two California teenagers put a pair of eyeglasses on the floor of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. And sure enough, visitors crowded around these stranded specks, mistaking them for an avant garde exhibit. The teenagers, Kevin Nguyen, age 16, and T.J. Kayatan, age 17, had been amused that some of the museum's exhibits were considered art. Kayatan said he thought, this is pretty easy. We could make this ourselves. So it was that he and his friend placed Kevin's eyewear on the floor. Within minutes, admiring visitors were gathering around the glasses and even taking photos. Said Kayatan, we had a good laugh about it. And if you've ever been to the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, and we recommend that you do check it out at some point, well, I think you'll see how this sort of thing could have happened. I do want to thank the former general manager at KDVS and former DJ at KZFR, Stephen Valentino, for suggesting many years ago that we go check out the San Francisco MoMA. And in a related story from the SF MoMA, which is a phrase we've never uttered before, apparently last week some poor soul tripped and fell into an Andy Warhol painting of Elvis Presley, which sold at auction for $82 million. Yes, $82 million. According to KR14 in San Francisco, Conservators say that the uh, contact that the clumsy museum-goer's elbow made with the canvas was minimal. There was some relief expressed over this because this would have undoubtedly perhaps been a far more expensive trip than (laughs) 
<laughs> that kid in Taiwan last year who tripped and punched a hole in a 17th century Italian painting. Well, that one was only worth $1.5 million. And in a story that we can classify as neither good nor bad nor ugly, but nevertheless we feel worthy of mention, is that earlier this week the Sacramento River Cats defeated the Albuquerque Isotopes 5-3. to Yes, we do find it newsworthy that anybody would name their sports team the Isotopes. Evidently, someone's trying to give Stanford University a run for its money. As you may or may not be aware, Stanford had a long tradition, a long proud tradition of having their mascot be the Indians. That although Stanford was served quite well by the nickname Indians between 1930 and 1972, after objections from Native American students and a vote by the Student Senate, the Indian symbol and name were dropped. During the 1970s, a number of suggestions were put forward as possible nicknames. My personal favorite is the Robber Barons, <laughs> but also the Sequoias, the Trees, the Railroaders, the Spikes, the Huns, and the Griffins. On November 17, 1981, the school president, Donald Kennedy, declared that the athletic teams would, at that point, be represented by the color Cardinal in its singular form. So, yes, it's the Stanford Cardinal, as opposed to, say, the Stanford Indigo, the Stanford Teal, or the Stanford Chartreuse. Although the Stanford Trees never made it his official name, the Stanford Band does have someone who dresses up as a tree. There's a, yes, a tree costume, and <laughs> you'll see it at sport, sporting events. Pretty silly stuff. And speaking of pretty silly stuff involving mascots, apparently comedy genius Christopher Guest is working on a Netflix production to be titled Mascots. It's not out yet, but it's described as a forthcoming mockumentary from Christopher Guest about the competition for the World Mascot Association Championships Gold Fluffy Award. I think you might agree there's some comedy potential there. We're going we're to follow up and see when this thing becomes available. And as soon after it is as possible, we're going to view it and report on it. I expect it to be a laugh or two. Although I do note, sadly, that uh, all of Christopher Guest's productions uh, have gone down in quality over time. This is Spinal Tap back in 1984, is considered uh, by this correspondent probably the funniest movie ever. Waiting for Guffman in 1996 is pretty solid, too. But there's a drop-off to Best in Show. Still good. Not great, but good. Then a mighty win in 2003, I don't know. And then for your consideration in 2006, fairly mediocre. So we're rooting for Christopher Guest to reverse that downward trend and uh, see what he can do with mascots. Now, we're a, little st we're a little stuck at this point for what bumper music to go out with. But uh, mascots and marching bands certainly go together. So why don't we use uh, Fleetwood Mac's Tusk, Mr. McMillan. Marching bands are not necessarily the greatest musical vehicles in the world, but I think this song worked pretty well. So we acknowledge the University of Southern California Marching Band and Fleetwood Mac. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. we got plenty more in the second segment, so stick around. Yeah. 